saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Well, hello there. Welcome to Maximum Fun. It's episode 281, and I don't know how to rhyme things, so we're not even going to go down that road. But uh, it's a delight to be here. My name is Alonzo Duraldi. I'm filling in this week for If You Want Away, although there's going to be a lot of hosting going on before this thing is over, uh, mainly sharing the duties with uh, my dear friend, co-host, Queen of the Midwest, and uh, film festival programmer and movie producer extraordinaire, the lovely Drea Clark. Drea, what's good? Yay! Um, I love movie producer extraordinaires. I've been chasing people all day to give me ADR lines. Like, can you just record something on your phone real quick for me? It's and like, that's what they do. It's the most a movie ins- producer extraordinary. Right? Just annoying <laughs> questions all the time. Um, what's good for me is actually other than hounding people, always a fan of that. But as you know, it was my birthday last week. Um, thank you. I, I stayed the same age. Um, <laughs> and, but I treated myself to an hour-long float in a sensory deprivation tank, Ooh. which I've done before and I quite enjoy, but I haven't done it since the panty started. Um, and so it was a nice, I very much like that. It's it's Epsom salt, so it just like floats you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I super enjoy it. I might have slept the whole time. It felt like I was in there for 10 minutes. Did you have an altered state? I didn't, but my friend Ken had said some, sent me something ahead of time of this like neurologist from the 60s that used to do them. He was like, oh, he spent his time trying to figure out where his ego was in his body. And I was like, yeah, I spend my time trying not to pee in the Epsom salt. But, <laughs> but I did have a moment, like I shut my eyes and was like, huh, I wonder where my ego is. And I had this strange thing where I'm like, oh, myself is one inch to the right. Which, no, I cannot explain it any further than that. Ooh. But I was like, oh, I'm I'm not centered. But not in a bad way. I was like, oh, I'm a little off-center. That's interesting. I didn't know that before. And then right. I think I fell back asleep. It wasn't a lot of, like, hallucinating <laughs> and entire exciting discoveries. It was, yeah, if, it's, if yeah. you're not going to go full Ken Russell, I just I don't even know what the point is. <laughs> right. But I, I do want to try it at some point. Uh, this program is, of course, legendary for its distinguished guests. This week is no exception. Uh, joining us this week, artist, writer, and director of a movie that I really adore, Together Together, Nicole Beckwith is here. Nicole, welcome. Yay. What's good? Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Um, what's good? It snowed It snowed this week, and it is the first snow that accumulated where, where uh, are you? I'm in Massachusetts. Ah. So, ye old snow. And it looks nice. And it's not brown or melty or gray yet. So it's right in that storybook watercolor of a scenic vista stage. So that's what's good right now. It's oh, the, uh, I took two, or the, there were two roads. I took the one less traveled by <laughs> snow where you're like, oh, pristine and crisp and lovely. Uh, yeah, it lasts for like, it. it's not always like that. And then it never lasts. But when it's there, it's like the only time that I'm like, maybe, maybe this is lovely. Yeah, it doesn't last super long, but I'm delighted. Everything's super quiet and smells like ozone. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Alonzo, what's good with you? 
Well, what's good with me is I just wrapped up Showtime's George and Tammy, which is worth checking out. But that's not my what's good necessarily, although it is good and I did enjoy it. But in the final episode, uh, which was titled Justified and Ancient, they include a moment where Jessica Chastain... uh, recreates the moment of Tammy Wynette appearing in the KLF's song Justified and Ancient, which is a a batty moment in pop culture. Um, But then it kind of set me down on this whole uh, rabbit hole of other collaborations between sort of like legendary vocalists and kind of, you know, more contemporary, uh, uh, you know, electronic dance type groups. So, you know, like Dame Shirley Bassey and the Propellerheads doing History Repeating. And then, of course, that leads to, you know, the Pet Shop Boys and their, you know, their work with Dusty Springfield, which was great. And then I was reminded of the fact that Dusty, that the, the Pet Shop Boys and Liza Minnelli put out an entire damn album called results and it's great and people should check it out if they don't know it they turned losing my mind from steven sondheim's follies into a dance floor bop um she does covers of of the pet shop boys song rent of tanita tickerum's twist in my sobriety it is it 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 it, it, it is as good as you would want a liza minnelli pet shop boys collab to be and i think we as a nation forgot that this record existed. Yeah. So I just want to put it back in people's minds as a thing they should check out. I feel like that collaboration is something that the off-center part of my brain dreamt up in a sensory deprivation <laughs> tank. Like, it is I, one inch to the right. Yeah. I, I've never heard of that in my life. I mean, as you know, I think the pinnacle of, um, of combinations was when Jessica Simpson was joined by Jewel for Who Will Save My Soul on the Jessica Simpson <laughs> variety show. But Liza Minnelli and Pet Shop Boys, close second. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think it'll I think it'll change your life for the better. You, All right. Give it, give it a listen. Uh, speaking of changing your life for the better, we are talking about uh, Charlotte Wells' debut feature film, After Sun. Uh, and of course, later we'll have a quiz from Marissa about two-handers, Ooh. i.e. Uh, movies that feature uh, mainly two principal characters. But first, it's time for Interdict. It's our movie news segment where we look at the breaking headlines and ask ourselves the very challenging questions. Is this important? Do I care? Take it away, Drea. All right. The top five films this past holiday weekend took in over $10 million. It was the strongest box office in a very long time. Holdovers continued to dominate as Avatar The Way of Water, still haven't seen it, approached the $2 billion mark and Megan... Mithrigan. Mithrigan neared $100 million. And the new Puss in Boots, yeah, I'm calling it Puss in Boots, movie is also holding on, even though people can now stream it at home. There were also new releases like A Man Called Otto and Plane, my favorite title ever. Even in an indie horror movie, Skinnamarink, which gets that camp song stuck in my head every time, which took in over $800,000 and fewer than 700 theaters, which is ducats, let me tell you. Listen, Nicole and Alonzo, is this important and do you care? I'm going to say uh, both, actually. I, it is important mm-hmm. and I care because it has been a little depressing of late. I mean, 
Even before uh, COVID happened, you know, the theatrical experience was sort of slowly withering on the vine and more and more you had this this idea that the adult drama was disappearing, that people weren't going to see it, that the audience for those movies weren't going to theaters anymore. They were just going to wait and watch it on Netflix or rent it on Amazon or whatever. And that just became more sort of exacerbated when, you know, the the windows got shorter for movies and people were like, yeah, I can wait, I can see it. And they were only leaving the house for Spider-Man. Uh, so the fact that, I mean, yes, Avatar, we knew that that is like, you know, guaranteed like people want to see it on the big screen and have that experience. So that was that was a no brainer. But the fact that Megan has become this word of mouth hit, that families are going to see Puss in Boots, that adults, uh, presumably, I don't know who else is going to see Man Called Otto, uh, you know, are are leaving the house and spending their money like that. This is a very promising sign at a moment where it looked like the theatrical uh, experience might go away forever outside of like Marvel movies. Especially January is not always a hotbed for releases either. Like the fact that a man called Otto was put here, I'm like, yeah. If that had track tire, that would have absolutely been an awards push. It's Tom Hanks. Well, it did. It did get a, an awards release. Like it, it sure, played. Sure. You know. But yeah, you're right. But absolutely. I mean, like it would have. It would have. They it would have been like a fall festival the, kind exactly. of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's based on a book I gave my dad. A man called Ove. So. Mm. Spot on. I think that's Sony who who yeah. backs a good number of those. So good for them. Um, it's also encouraging that only two of these are um, re- not reboots, but sequels. Thank you. I'm like, what's what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, Megan, as my friends and I like to talk about, is is the only movie we know that the the lead. Um, doll, the lead doll, you know, every movie has a lead doll, <laughs> but the, the lead like villain in it is modeled after a Hollywood publicist, a thrill, <laughs> the filmmaker. I don't know if they knew that, but absolutely. I know that aesthetic and it is publicist. Um, Nicole, how do you feel about box office? Are you just like ready to text people at a moment's notice? Like this is encouraging guys. Um, yeah, I mean, it is encouraging. I really, I really want the theater experience to stick around forever. So it is a thrill to feel like that's thriving. But I also try not to pay attention to how much money movies are making because I'm in a writing stage. Mm. And so I can't think about that because um, my ideas are not you know, dollar signs in anyone's eyes. So if I if I start to think of how much money things make, then you know, I don't want to get po- I don't want to poison my well. Fair, fair. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that. Um, I also like the idea of those all of the the five movies that we've talked about. If like you mix them up and you were like, great. Well, what if I met like, okay, so I made a film. It's basically Plane meets a man called Otto meets Megan. <laughs> like that's my new pitch. With a lot of Avatar in it. With just a sprinkle of Skinner and Kadink. I'm terrified to admit I've never heard of Plane or Man Called Otto. This is the first time hearing of the existence Good. of these things. That tells me that your bunker is working. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Avatar, you can't get away from the existence of. Yeah. But you know. Yeah, I I saw a Plane, which is a, a movie best enjoyed if you think of it as an like an R-rated director's cut of a 1978 Wednesday night at the movies, because uh, it's it's a very hokey kind of like 
plane crash survival story, but you know, it, it's Gerard Butler and he sells it. So, you know, it, oh, it is what it is. P L A N E. P L A N E. Yes. Not like plain and peanuts. Jane plain and tall or. I was very excited for what a movie P L A I N. So that's what, and when you said it was your favorite title, I was like, Ooh, got to make a note. But Sarah now, plain and tall. That's yeah, what no. I was thinking of. <laughs> plain the story of a plane like just of a like out yeah. on the plane like yeah, just yeah. a flat yes. horizon where, like i also want to see that movie where it mainly but, rains in spain yeah. okay i'll i'll move on uh so Speaking of the thing that people aren't uh, going to movie theaters for, uh, Netflix has announced they are planning a lot of Korean programming for 2023. They recently announced 11 new Korean titles this week, bringing the streamers count of films and series from Korea in 2023 up to 34. A lot of these will be TV series, both new and returning, including, I believe, a second season of Squid Game. But some of the film highlights include a documentary about Bong Joon-ho and an action thriller about a mom assassin. Is this important? Do you care? You guys know that I have a Sherpa in a whole different area. I have multiple Sherpas who guide me through things. My friend Amber is my Korean drama TV and film Sherpa. Um, I've already talked in the show about my deep love of Crash Landing on You. Um, I am very, I liked Vincenzo, Mr. Mister. There's all sorts of case stuff that I watch. There's a show called Extraordinary Attorney Wu that I don't even know if I should say that I watched. It feels like nothing but red flags. And yet I watched all of it. I, I started it and I couldn't, but I, I see the appeal. The whole thing. I watched the whole Thing, Alonzo. So I am psyched about this. I like Netflix supporting, and and actually more than that, I like the idea of audiences finally digging in more um, on a, a more well-rounded and larger basis into things with subtitles. Like, good on you. I hope that teaches you a skill set that translates to the many other <laughs> cultures, languages, and countries producing cinema that you can also just read the words on if you don't happen to speak. Igbo or whatever like that's fun that's a skill that you're learning and may it translate ah ha ha pun intended accidentally pun intended yep no I, I do kind of feel like that Netflix is sort of becoming the promise of the internet in a way in terms of mm. the world wide web and, and, and the idea that, that, that there would be this singular sort of depot where we would all go to for stuff and so yeah we're used to you know the United States and sort of Western Europe kind of pushing out so much material to the rest of the world but now you can watch shows from Korea you can watch Indian soaps and rom-coms you can watch stuff from all over the place and you know you might be shocked to discover how relatable it is you know and how much it it works for you and how much it speaks to you you know obviously as, as somebody who's spanish i love that we get shows like smiley and elite you know and uh and don't even get me started on like the nigerian christmas movies i mean like there's just so much stuff there so that is kind of cool that they are producing they're trying to sell themselves to all of these different markets but they're not walling off the market from each other you know and mm -hmm. so that means wherever you are you can dip into one of these k shows or or something else and it's you know and so i i, I theoretically i find that exciting um you know even though there's a lot that we can point to at netflix it's like yeah but uh but yeah no i i think it's great 
I agree. I hope they throw their marketing budget behind it instead of just putting it out in the press. There is that also, yes. Put the weight behind it. And then in that case, I think like there's also an argument to say that's like potentially more more important on the grand scheme of things even than the box office uh, situation just because we want to get want to get the voices <laughs> want more more voices i mean are all the movies we just list that are at the box office right now just like the whitest movies known to me and other than avatar which is they're a- blue <laughs> blue uh mike coulter is the co-star of plane but beyond that it's yeah it's fairly uh Yes. So fairly Caucasian in there. But I really very much care and it is very important. Um, but I I yeah, I'm holding my breath and hoping that they put their full American style marketing budget and everything behind these choices. All right. Don't worry, year round you hear me say this word, but yes, Sundance twenty twenty three has begun. By the no, time no, no, you're no, here, no. yes. It's I It's nonstop for me, but this is where it starts. By the time you're hearing this, the Sundance Film Festival will be up and running in Park City, Utah. Continued unpredictability in the film industry has some speculators worrying that film sales may be tepid this year. I'd add that there's also a large number of films that already have distributors attached. On the other hand, this is the first time the in-person festival has been held as usual since the infamous year of 2020. We had to cancel last minute last year because of Omicron. We have fun. There is also an online component of the festival, which will begin on January 24th. Is this important? Do you care? Well, sure. I mean, you know, th- this is this is the beginning of the year for uh, for distributors, for film critics, for pretty much everybody in the industry. So much of what's going to unfold over the next you know week or so is going to kind of dictate the movies that we talk about this year. The awards race starts here, I guess, now, thanks to CODA especially. Um, you know, and and obviously new careers will be born out of this. There are going to be first-time filmmakers, first-time actors, you know, writers who are going to get their stuff seen and suddenly start getting calls from agents and managers and TV networks or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it is, it's undoubtedly influential. Um it's interesting that, you know, there is always there is the, the, the concern about a possible tepid market. But then I also saw a piece on the rap saying that the Writers Guild might strike this year, y'all. And so people might want to have some ready-made finished products handy to uh, to throw out into the world. And, you know, and Netflix, I mean, sorry, and, and Sundance is episodic as well as feature films. So there's a lot of choices to make and, and some possibilities of um, of things to get snapped up. Nicole, as a Sundance alum, how did the, uh, you know, your experience at the festival itself, do you feel like it really served as a good launching pad for your film when the film finally opened? Did having that Sundance sort of seal of approval on it, you know, uh, open doors for you? Like, what's your take? Yeah, of course. Sundance has been huge for me. The first movie, my first movie, which went to Sundance, I was like, wow, this is so unbelievable um and it was life-changing for sure and then i think like the second film even more so like it meant even more and um brought the film to audiences and put it on everybody's radar and um yeah it's incredible and it's also so nice to be in a group of films that 
does have like gender parody and voices from all over the world and just like the kind of thing that isn't Avatar or Megan or plain, I guess. And so it's like, this is where we see all of those things. That's where all of these things are gathered and the support and visibility that Sundance provides its filmmakers is like kind of unparalleled. I, I, I'm very grateful to Sundance, huge Sundance fan, very excited about the digital component. Um, I was at the the digital Sundance 2021 with Together Together, the digital style. And then last year, I also like put a dent in my couch watching 20 <laughs> movies, you know, it's like very exciting um, too that they've integrated that into the festival and have kept it as a part of what's going on and how people connect to the material. And I'm grateful for that as well as an audience member. I love Sundance Film Festival. As you know, I put in hours and hours and hours to help program it. And I'll add, like, if you, I've said this before, but especially even this year when the doors are open, even if you're not there, I do encourage people, like, all festivals building out virtual components because has been so instrumental through getting us where we are at this stage of the pandemic. But also it's changed how festivals function. And you should really... Take advantage of that if you're able to. Like a lot of these films, great, will release. There's films that I would highly recommend that I'm not worried about you being able to see, like Eileen or Magazine Dreams, or sometimes I think about dying. Like there's great films coming out that I know you'll get to see, but there's a lot of films that are the, oh, you never saw that, like that will just whimper out onto VOD in like 18 months. And this is the time, like get on board right away. Um. And then I'll also add my section, Indie Episodics, uh, which is where I predominantly do very, I love our lineup this year. They're all independently made and none of our episodics currently have distribution attached. So they are also in the market. Um, one of them is a piece by Xavier Dolan and I got to do his, I did the um, virtual Q&A stuff. So I think it's so special and neat and we have great filmmakers all over. So. Let me know if you want recommendations, individual tickets still on sale, but yeah, exciting support it. And you're going to, again, we, whether or not we like it, it's true. We mentioned it all year. The favorites come up and we're like this played at Sundance and it sounds obnoxious, <laughs> but it's just the reality. Indeed it is. All right. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to take a look at After Sun. Maximum Film is supported in part by Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. Um, I think anyone who's listened to this before knows that I'm obsessed with being a lifelong learner. Um, by that, it's that I really like to know more things than other people, but I also do enjoy learning. Um, so I've been a delighted member of Masterclass for several years now. Now, of course, there are things in the film sphere that would make sense for me to talk about the storytelling sphere. But let me tell you, there is a lesson or a whole class called John Douglas teaches how to think like an FBI profiler. That is right. They have a special agent who teaches how criminal profiling method can help you predict people's motives to benefit your everyday life. Tell me you don't want to watch that in little like 10, 15 minute lessons and then know that and then be superior and be like, oh yeah, I learned that from an FBI profiler. Don't even worry about it. So you can, you should, Masterclass. 
Check it out today. Get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Maximum Film listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash maxfilm. That's masterclass.com slash M-A-X-F-I-L-M for 15% off masterclass. Okay, welcome back to Maximum Film. I am not Ify Wadaway, nor am I Alonzo Duralde. I am, in fact, Drea Clark. We are passing the baton today, and it is in my cold, sweaty palms. In the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. And Nicole Beckwith. All right, today's movie premiered at Cannes last year, where it won both the jury prize and the Critics Week Prize. It has since earned a lot of awards and nominations, especially for first-time director Charlotte Wells. It is currently in theaters and available to rent on demand. Alonzo, can you wrap up After Sun? I'll give it my best shot. Charlotte Wells, by the way, also won Best Director from the National Society of Film Critics, which I got to vote with for the first time this year. So that was real cool. Uh, so, yeah, this is a sort of flashback film. Uh, a woman named Sophie is looking at uh, videos that were taken on a trip that she took with her father. Um, her parents are separated and she goes off to this uh, resort in Turkey with her father. And over the course of the trip, we come to see that it's a turning point in her life where perhaps she begins to see him and see the world in a way that she wouldn't have earlier in her childhood, but that that childhood is coming to an end. Um, it's intercut with these sort of like, are they dreams? Are they memories where she's trying to reach her father in a crowded space? And we even get a glimpse at adult Sophie trying to make sense of these videos and trying to match what she sees on the screen with her own memories of things that happened and even realizing that her memories of the filming don't match what the film necessarily says happened. Uh, and so it's about somebody trying to piece together their past and understand the person that it has turned them into in the modern day after sun. Yay. You did really lovely work there. And I want you to say, even hearing this movie described makes me want to weep again. The weepitude at the end of this, which reminds me, I feel this is a great movie to put a disclaimer that we have sometimes, I don't think we can speak about After Sun without getting to the eventual reveal of the ending because so much of this movie is the construction of how that revelation and how perspective leading up to it is handled. And so I say that if you are listening and haven't yet seen this really beautiful work, give us a pause, come on back, if you're comfortable hearing about it and uh, want to follow the April Wolf style of how it's told rather than what's been told, then stick around. But I, I think between the three of us, it's, it's fair enough to put that on the table because I do think it's um, resonant and important to the conversation. So for sure to kick things off, um, I've already given away the weeping that commenced from old Shay Clark with this one. But why is it? presuming it also emotionally affected you. What do you think and why do you think this movie is affecting people so strongly? Um, well, I think the film really achieves a tactile kind of atmospheric level of the way 
memories feel and the way experiences feel that is like very difficult to achieve. Um, and that's in every part of it. It's the production design, the cinematography, the editing, just absolutely um, the pacing, the structure. And so I think it really sneaks up on you, you know, um, as like something that really it pe penetrates um, like all of your layers. It gets past your defenses because it is very, um, it's very disarming in the way that it achieves a naturality and a conjuring of our own push and pull with what time is and what relationships are and what stays with us and, and loss. And I, and it does so in such an unassuming way. And it's really accumulative. The effect of the film is so accumulative and beautiful. And I think it really does. It, it sneaks up on you for sure. Yeah. It's been so interesting for me to see people who like this is one of those no middle ground movies people either absolutely completely love it or swept up in it see it multiple times wax rhapsodic about what it's doing and i have encountered my share of people who just think it's all like phony or you know nonsensical and i'm like were you paying attention do you know how to watch a movie like this because this is such a an accelerated degree of difficulty in terms of what is happening narratively. And you're right. It is the kind of thing. It's one of those movies that's about this accumulation of moments of feeling, um, you know, uh, to, to, to the opposite of, of Salvador Dali. It's about the impersistence of memory. You know, it's about how untrustworthy memory is and how fleeting it can be and how like little bits will stay with you, but then other details get washed away. And it is a thing where up until about the last 10 or 15 minutes, you may still be wondering like, what is this movie about? Where, where are we going here? And then it does all really come together so beautifully and so powerfully, but I think that for a lot of people, that's just not a kind of narrative that they know how to throw their arms around, which is breaks my heart because I think there are so many different kinds of ways to tell a story and to to create a movie. And this one is so, so eternal, internal, rather, in terms of the 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 care, the main character's POV. And it's about the fact that that POV is so unreliable. You know that all of our memories are so unreliable that so much of our 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 the way that we piece together our lives is 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 fractured and and imperfect. I'd add to that though, because and we certainly actually between the three of us probably see a lot more of that kind of lyrical gazing middle distance slowed down indie than your average viewer would. So perhaps that visual language I'm already more attuned to. But what I found different in After Sun and what made it even more distinctive to me in terms of her command of a very strong authorial voice is that she was taking a lot of like, oh, the the dreamy, um, atmospheric looks, but also making it accessible in the sense of these are very easy characters to click in with. They're having a lot of conversations. They're talking about 
her, like it's this girl just sort of on the edge of puberty and she's trying to like, oh, so what, why do you say you love mom? You guys aren't together anymore. Like, do you know what I mean? There's like little kid inquisitive questions and she meets some older kids at the, at the resort. And so you're getting all of these pieces that aren't just the, oh, I'm just spending this artsy time, like staring <laughs> in the distance and thinking it's, you're, you have the internal um, conversation of that, like the interrogation of memory and of all of these things. But you also have a movie that's just like, yeah, I'm moving along with this father and daughter, learning their circumstances, whatever. And so I feel like the depth and nuance, that's what catches up to you in those last 10 minutes. Because I do agree. Like, I was like enjoyable view and i before i saw it i had really only heard the people who were like oh it's so good and i and so maybe that made me a little like okay settle down and so i was watching it was like enjoyable she's doing some really beautiful stuff with technique here really playing with everything in the filmmaking palette but okay sure and then it hit the 10 minute and it's like oh it's coalesced and I see that it's been building towards something and that combination of accessibility and like actual building towards a revelation and not just this oh my film is a ephemeral discussion of Burma and you're like what just get a plot and this one I felt like had that Bella has like almost no exposition. And so I think like that, like anybody that says that they really don't like, like that they're not clicking with the film, it just means that they're like expectations of what they quote unquote need from a film weren't met because exposition is something that people are obsessed with and they feel like they need it to go into a story. And if you're expecting it, you feel like it's absent. If you just, if you just take a story as it is, you, you don't miss it at all. And what I, one of the things I really love about After Sun is any expositional information we get is also just an unanswered question. He has a cast. We yeah. Don't know how his arm comes to be. He's not with the mom anymore, but we don't really talk about that. We don't hear her on the phone when they're talking. It's not, there's absolutely nothing there to give us unnecessary information, but also it is not presenting any information as being necessary. And so I think that like that combination is really is beautiful. And I do think that like the hype around the movie, this is like a whole other conversation, but once everybody starts talking about a movie, I think it is very easy to expect certain things from it. And even I, ye who watches <laughs> lyrical, textured, slow, expositionless films on the regular. Um, I was I had to start the movie again from the beginning because I was like, oh, okay, this because I was expecting something, I guess because all of the mainstream everybody's were talking about it. I was really expecting something more um, classic in in structure and form. And so then when I realized that that wasn't going to happen, I was like, oh, okay, I have to rewind and start from the beginning and meet the movie at, on its terms and and let it sweep me away from there. Um, and it really did. I've seen it three times. I purchased it. It's not only available to rent, it's also available to purchase. Thank you. Yes. Highly recommend. Um, because it is, yeah, it's just gor- it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous film. It's quite an achievement. I mean, like on its most basic level, you could try to sort of categorize it as I always think of um, Christina Ricci has that line in The Opposite of Sex about 
this is one of those the summer that changed everything movies, you know, but it obviously is operating at, 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 at such a deeper and more complicated level than that. I mean, we had a lengthy conversation at, when it was over about what exactly the ending meant, you know, and, and, and what was the movie saying about how things unfolded? And, and, uh, you know, and I, I love the fact that it, you're right. They, they don't ladle on the exposition. They don't hold your hand through this thing. But if you, as you say, meet the movie where it is and adopt its pace and adopt its way of, of showing you the world, it offers so much. I'll say the, the ending for me was so clear cut what it was that any and I and certainly that's not to say I wouldn't and haven't enjoyed really good conversations about how it unfolded. Like it was it's nothing like this, but it reminded me when we talked about Petite Mama that it's mm. like this very sophisticated handling of getting you to an awareness of what's happening that's either sort of surreal or more implied and suggested than actually shown. But that is just very obvious to you. You're like, I don't know how I knew that that was her young mother, but I did. And in this, I watched the ending and was like, no, I absolutely know what him. I now know what these flashbacks are, this dancing scenes are. I know this hallway represents. And so, like, to lead into that, the father, um, played by Paul Mescal, who's fantastic, and then um, Frankie Corio plays uh, his daughter Sophie in this. Both amazing, both nominated for Spirit Awards, amongst many other things. Um, one of the things that we're getting with the father, and that it is that, that, again, that reveal of it's not totally laid out to us, but as humans who have either gone through it ourselves, seen it in people we love, is this handling of depression and of mental illness. And like you said, it's all wrapped up in a lot of this POV is from this girl who's around 11 10 or 11 and her memories of what her dad were like and that that time where you are cognizant that maybe something's off but you can't really explain what it is and I also thought how the mental illness was depicted throughout both in what he's doing but even in her questions about it or or remarks about her own sort of perspectives on like do you do you do you ever have those days where you all of a sudden just feel terrible or what like she has these questions that you're like oh what a cute precocious kid oh you're the child of a depressive parent and possibly a future depressive um did the mental illness depression angles things did those resonate with you guys um as a depressed person on an antidepressant um i appreciated the way that it was kind of circled and um and it is you know it is like a mysterious ether um depression especially as it's like making its way through a family or any intimate dynamic but especially a family because it can be like passed down like a baton um but i thought it was really um handled well it wasn't so like you know there's no sobbing in a mirror there was no like you know, slapping yourself in the face to make you get out of bed. Any of these things like, you know, whatever, a pill bottle, like things that are usually like tokens of the way mental illness, depression is like portrayed in film. I thought it was appropriately mysterious and kind of something that you can't, that you can see, but you can't reach. And that's so much of the film is about that. I, this is a, 
Sorry, this is a minor thing, but I, I really appreciated the fact that the movie doesn't immediately even clue you into the fact that the past is the past. Uh, like you really have to be, you have to really go, oh wait, okay, that video camera is, you know, they'd be, and no one has a phone. Even like the song choices, you know, are the kind of things you would probably still hear at this cheesy resort. They're probably still doing the Macarena there, you know, but it, it was, it was a moment like, oh, 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 this is, this is the before time. Okay. Got it. You know, they don't like the, 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 the resort where is, you know, yeah. Just it, it, nothing, nothing screams out period in a way that would, you know, the signals to. So just again, it's a thing that sort of sneaks up on you as you're paying attention. Oh, I would have fully believed that those foosball playing kids busted out their TikToks. Like, it's, you know, it, it's it's a it's a very timeless setting. But I, I absolutely agree. There's such power to, again, that small revelation of, oh, we're in the past. And not just that the layering of this film um, of you're sort of back and forth, but in much smaller increments in present day of who Sophie is now and um, as an expectant mother and as someone looking at, you know, trying to analyze the parent that her father was to her at this time in life, um, the parent that she could be and the balls that he possibly dropped, her trying to not drop those themselves. And, and Nicole mentioned the idea, too, of intergenerational elements of um, depression or mental illness in general. And there's also allusions to um, Callum's parents having been terrible to him and the choices that he then makes, good and bad, to separate himself from perpetuating that, from passing it along. And so you're looking, and like Alonzo said, this video that you're getting, he's taking video of her and of himself this whole time and again where the film ends up and you're like oh god he's leaving her this video like it's so enormous because it also colors the whole film that you've been watching and all of the like because a lot of movies use that trope of home videos or whatever to give like this is a little character insight to their dynamic or ooh this this moment in their past is but it's not it's not there it's 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 like reverse exposition, right? It's, oh, we're giving you this video to document the story you're actually seeing. And then you're going to see flashes of the future. And they're learning the exposition of this moment. It's such a, I mean, I use the word sophisticated already, but I do think that layering is so beautiful. And the mirroring as well, right? Because it's like at the, the present day slash future Sophie is having her birthday presumably her 31st birthday, you know, right. just as it was his 31st birthday over the trip. And, and the movie is full of these kind of mirrors and, and juxtapositions like, you know, dur during the trip, Sophie is 11. So she's, she's right on the cusp of not being a child anymore, but she's too young to be anything but a child. And then her father is this young father. So he fatherhood in and of itself has made him older than he is, but he is still too young to relate to the other parents at the resort. So and is mistaken for her brother at one point. Yeah. And so they're caught in these deeply related, but very different um, cusps of who they are and what they are to the world and to each other. And then of course, you know, present day Sophie being on her birthday, looking back over the videos, it's like, you know, you're, 
your ideas about your parents and your understanding of who they are and what they're going through is so different once you hit the age they were then. I forgave my parents for a lot of things when I hit the age that they were um, when they went through their divorce or went through it. And then I'm reevaluating. It's like, yeah, this feels really like too much this age. And I don't have two teenage children to try to navigate this around, you know? And so it was also this kind of beautiful implicit thing of like Sophie evaluating her present day watching of the videos is also knowing her father in more than she's ever known him before and a window into his experience through her own experience now. So it is like basically the only way that you can um, get closer to someone who is gone is having that kind of experience and that time, which also at the same time, the mirroring and the juxtaposing puts you further apart because there's conversations you can never have, questions that now come to mind, things you wanna know and wanna ask and wanna, wanna say that you never can, that you didn't even know existed at the time that you were living those moments. So it's like a gift and a tragedy at the same time. Well put. And now we vote. Yeah, I was going to say this is a perfect, perfect point to vote. So how we rank things on the show is we each say if we think this film is something that you would vote to screen it, um, stream it or skip it. Screen it being our highest um, and then so on. So Alonzo, would you like to go first and show us how it's done? Absolutely. Yeah, this is definitely a screen it. Um, you know, it's and and I did watch it at home and it still worked and was really effective. If you can see it projected, by all means do. It's uh, you know, so much of this movie the the way that it's shot and the way that it's edited and where the camera is and what we're seeing is so integral to the story. Um but yeah, this is an extraordinary uh, uh debut. Some of I think my favorite films from 2022 were first-time films. There was this, there was uh, Pana He's Hit the Road, and Gerard Carmichael's On the Count of Three. Uh, but yeah, this is something really extraordinary. Charlotte Wells is absolutely a talent to watch. I can't wait to see what she does next. But uh, yeah, people should certainly, by all means, uh, see this one. And again, see it with your phone off, with the screens off, like just looking at looking at the one screen, focus, go with it, be in it. Uh, and let it take you where it wants to take you. Nicole? Yes, agreed. Let the film take you (laughs) where it's going. Um, Screen it, buy it, love it, stream it and screen it and... Buy it on physical media. Buy it, yeah, (laughs) have it be part part of your life. Um, Watch it again, you know, years from now and feel differently about it it's that it is the kind of movie that will will change with you just the way any just the way the relationship in the film changes Mm. um so yes tip of the hat to charlotte wells what a beautiful accomplishment what a what a piece of work yeah i will round this out with a screen it of my own no surprise i'm sure um i think this is Uh, Like Nicole said, a film that you could get and revisit and get something new out of each time. There's so many beautiful layers. I think if you're a film lover, there's so much here to embrace in terms of how she is using film as an art form of how, you know, film is it's a collaborative medium. It's a medium that's involving a lot of different visuals and sounds. And there's so much going on. And she's been really thoughtful with all of them and it comes together in a really lovely way 
and you will most likely weep at the end. If you do, feel free to write me and I will tell you and remind you, yes, also so many tears. So um, with that bummer of an ending from me, we will be right back after we hear from another show on Maximum Fun. Parenting. It's hard, but don't worry, you're not alone. Belly up to the low bar with one bad mother and let us remind you that fine is good enough. They want to climb on different things. And how am I supposed to keep them both from dying? (laughs) There is a right way to do this. And if I can figure out that right way, I'm going to be a good parent. So that is not a thing. So join us each week and let us tell you that you are doing a good job. You can listen to One Bad Mother on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This week on Bullseye, Tom Hanks, as you've never heard him before, mad. You moron. Thank you for the use of the turn signal. Way to use your blinker, idiot. That's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I am Alonzo Duraldi. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Nicole Beckwith. And y'all, I love you so much. Producer Marissa has a quiz for us. Yeah, hi, it's me, Marissa, the producer of the show. And today's quiz um, I thought was appropriate, and not just because if he's not here. Um, (laughs) Maybe he would do well on this, but whatever. We don't have to be nice to him. He's not here. Um, (laughs) So today's movie was a two-hander, as Alonzo alluded to before. Just just code for a movie that is primarily led uh, by two leads. Um, Nicole's movie Together Together, also we could call a two-hander. So I have a quiz for you all about two-handers. I'm calling it, uh, Whose Hands Are These? Clever. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad you think so. Um, So for all of these, uh, the people that I'm going to tell you about, they're not necessarily the only people in the movie, but, you know, a main duo that drives the movie. It seemed like it would be too easy to give you the actor names or like the synopsis. So instead, I'm just going to say who the people are to each other. So I'll give you an example. If I said a young father and his tween daughter... The answer could be... After Son. I want that point. <laughs> All right. So Write that down. Okay. If you can't... So if you, if you guys can't get it, I don't know how hard this will be. I mean, you guys, I know, are experts in two-handers. Drea, didn't you just do a big screen I did do a whole it? other uh, podcast about two-handers that a lot to help me prep for, so... <laughs> so, um, that being said, if you can't get it based on the character descriptions that I've given you... Uh, I can tell you the setting. That'll be a hint okay. one. And hint two, of course, could be the actor's names, which will fully give it away in many of these cases. <laughs> okay. So, uh, number one. A bounty hunter and an accountant. Oh, oh. oh Midnight uh, Run. Mid- Midnight Run. Nice. Nicole yeah, right. second. I forgot. Are we just supposed to yell the name of the film? Because as you know, I like to just yell my own name and then forget the film. We could yell foosball. <laughs> foosball. <laughs> nice. All right. So that was a that was a great a great start. Foosball from here on out. We'll, we will okay. say that's my bad right. for not making. I'm sorry, you I love you, Charles Grodin. That's bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a retired school teacher and a male escort. 
Oh, good luck oh. to you, Leo Grand. Foosball. I forgot what the foosball. <laughs> well, I don't know why I can never, ever remember the freaking rules <sighs> we set up. Literally. You, you got to get in fine. there. You got to get in I there. I think we're just going to yell the titles. I think that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Okay. A famous British comedian and a slightly less famous British comedian. The trip? <laughs> yes, the trip. Oh. Any one of the trips. Oh. I was going to say nice. the trip. The trip Italy. The trip <laughs> Spain. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. What a burn on Rob Bryden. Oh, you knew which one it was which, didn't you? I did. I knew exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Brutal. Okay, on to a movie that I saw in the movie theater. It's from 2015, so that's a first hint. A sassy Nana and her estranged teen granddaughter. Grandma. That's right. <laughs> oh, nice. That was our opening night film at the LA Film Festival one year. Mm. It, Amazing. Well, in that year. Not one the 2015, year. 2015. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, an ingenue film star and her asshole director boyfriend. I feel like there could be like 50 movies. I was going to say. Yeah. Um... Um, the one I'm thinking of takes place at what I believe is the House in the Hills. I'll also say that it was a. Uh, COVID. Twin Peaks? Or, no, sorry, I mean Mulholland Drive? Um, that might be an answer that works. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. But um, it was a COVID-era movie. Oh, Malcolm and Marie? That's the one. Malcolm and there Marie is the one I was thinking I think it was in the of. desert. Uh, and is she an actress? Yeah, shouldn't she star in that? Oh, maybe I did it wrong. I didn't actually research this one. I just based she... it on my memory. She He based the script on he her. He based on the her. script on her. Oh, yeah. uh, well, that's Listen, my bad. But she might, but she might also an be an actress. Director. I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Come on. I should have said bad something about how she mac and cheese and high heels. That would have been. <laughs> Don't. It still <laughs> aggravates me to no end. Take your shoes mm. off, ma'am. An American tourist and a French student. Before sunset. Oh. Rise. Rise. I was thinking about making it like an American novelist and a French environmental activist. Oh, no. But that would have been before sunset. I was like, before. Or midnight. Da, da, mm-hmm. da. Yeah. Or that one. Um, okay. Oh, just a few more. A morbid young man and a quirky old European lady. Harold and Maude. <laughs> Nicole's got it, Wait, of course. what was it? Harold and Maude. I literally stopped to hear, I stopped listening to Marissa's thing because Nicole said it so fast. <laughs> Got it. Great film. Good. Also, Beckwith, if you hadn't said that immediately, I would have been like, I don't actually know you at all. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that would be the one you had locked and loaded and you did. I own that movie too. I love I love to keep movies in my, my collection. A classic. Morbid Young Man. That's all I needed. Well, you're in good company here. Um, <laughs> a marooned man and a flatulent corpse. Swiss Army Man! Swiss Army Man. <laughs> yeah, that was for Drea. Flatulent corpse, those poor babies. <laughs> I was waiting to see if it was going to be a volleyball. Yes. Yeah, that me too. Yes. Oh, I could have done that one. Um, okay, how about this? A married journalist and a married secretary in adjacent rooms. A married journalist and a married secretary in adjacent rooms. This movie uh, is set in British Hong Kong. Oh, Lost in Translation? No. No, that's Japan. Mm-hmm. That's Japan. British Hong Kong. British Hong Kong. A married journalist. You're going to say it in The stars like, oh, of yeah. the film are Maggie Chung and Oh my Tommy God, is it Wong. in the mood for it's love? In the mood, mood for, for love. love. Oh, Jesus. I was like, this, she's going to say it. I'm going to be so hor- ashamed. Oh. And I am. Yep. 
I, I forgot what their yeah. jobs were. I did too. I was like, oh, you I thought they were professional hot people. The, hot, the beautiful people in the in the motel or the hotel. I added yeah, married because I thought maybe that would work. But yeah. um, all right. Well, I'm happy that one well, of them was like hard. In my version, Bill Murray is a is like a secretary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very much that. like that version. Okay, last one. A slightly dim hitman and his hitman mentor. This film is set in Belgium. Oh, in Bruges. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. In Bruges is right. I, I was trying to make it be Leon the Professional, and I was like, <laughs> I, "Well, I don't know if you should refer to a child as slightly dim." <laughs> I thought that if I put all of slightly dimness, um, I thought that if I put all of your like best duo movie buddy picks in the in the quiz, it would just be too easy. Nice, but excellent. Nice. I hope that was fun for everybody. That was. You're very good. Always. With those. Thank it you. It was Marissa. fun to make, and you know, speaking of fun for everybody, I. I just wanted to follow up real quickly um, on something that we talked about at the very beginning of the year. You guys um, brought along with Iffy and Guy Branham your kind of like movie resolutions, like things that maybe you were hoping for or trying for in the new year. And I asked uh, people in the Facebook group, uh, facebook.com slash group slash Maximum Film, um, if they had any like movie specific resolutions. And a few that we got are... David said, I want to see 52 movies I haven't seen before. Ooh. Nice. Movie a week. Nice. Um, Victor seconded that. Um, Nathan said, I'm planning on tackling Mexican cinema this year. Mm. Oh. Um, and Jackson said that uh, Jackson and some of Jackson's friends have spent the last couple years attempting to watch every movie from one calendar year. And this year they're doing 1991. Wow. So, oh, I don't know if that's like split up across what? the friends or what, but whoa. Oh, good on you guys. And if all that seems just like so big, there's also Kathy who... Um, has or is going to have a baby and wants to try to see 12 movies in theaters this year. Mm. And Tim, who wants to work through uh, my Shutter watch list. Nice. So, those are some nice things. Those watch lists get out of control after a while, and you're like, oh, did I, I, why did I select this many? When am I going to get through them? So good on you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for everybody who chimed in there for making the Facebook group a fun place to hang out. And uh, good luck to everybody on your resolutions for movies for 2023. Yeah, let us know next January how it all went. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Back over to you, Alonzo. Uh, so now it's time for Staff Picks, which is where we recommend a movie. It can be any film currently in theaters, streaming, uh, on demand, uh, on physical media, whatever. We're not picky. Uh, let's start with uh, Drea. All right. So my film, we are actually going to be discussing in a couple of weeks, but I love this film and it is currently in theaters and deserves your attention. It is called St. Omer. Um, it is the French uh, entry for the uh, Academy Awards this year by Alice Diop. It is based on um, a true story of a Sen Senegalese French um, mother who is accused of murdering her child by neglect. And um, it follows a journalist who goes to the court because they have a similar background. And man, when I tell you the pitch of like, ooh, a legal drama, great, sign me up, it's never my bag. This is very much my bag. It is really smart, beautiful filmmaking, incredibly empathetic, and the idea of 
just the connection of people and how film can explore that in interesting ways. So check it out, support it, St. Omer. Excellent. Nicole, what do you got for us? I will recommend The Cathedral. Um, because ah. it is also a film. I think it's a, a really interesting second cousin to After Sun. It's also mm. a film kind of going over a family history. Um, but instead of this one trip, it's looking at generations of the of the family's dynamics, but and also from a slightly removed um removed point of view i thought it was and it's another movie that you have to kind of release your expectations and let it take you and let it tell you um how it's going to tell the story and uh i bought this movie as well on the old apple movies or whatever it's called um and i just think it's really beautifully shot really beautifully done um and yeah an interesting companion to after sun yeah, my nice. husband's a big, a big fan of that one. I need to check it out and get caught up because I, I heard great things. Uh, so this is kind of a random thing. It's a movie that I've been wanting to see for a long time, and it popped up on TCM recently, and I've been trying to sort of clean out the DVR. So I, I sat down and gave it a look and was just really delightfully surprised. This is a 1973 comedy uh, starring James Caan and Sally Kellerman and Peter Boyle called Slither, not to be confused with the 2006 horror movie directed by James Gunn. This is this really kind of amiably absurdist comedy about a recently released uh, ex-con played by Khan, um, who uh, gets involved in this scheme to recover some embezzled money and along the way meets up with some very odd characters, including Sally Kellerman as uh, this woman who uh, whose motives are never quite clear, frankly. Uh, and, and Peter Boyle and Louise Lasser is this couple who really love uh, traveling in an RV, but they're also con artists. Um, and the film just never quite goes where you think it's going to go. And it's not paced in a way where, you know, it's, it's certainly not in a hurry to get where it's going and you don't know where it's going. And that's really a delight, you know, because movies are so very often on a very definite track. It's written by W.D. Richter, who is a, a wonderfully eccentric screenwriter. He wrote Buckaroo Banzai, among many others. And yeah, this is just this oddball early 70s movie that people don't talk about and i think they should and uh, you can rent it in all the places and you know uh, apple and, and amazon and whatnot but yeah check out slither i really enjoyed it that 100 percent sounds like the kind of movie i would have act not accidentally but like rented at the library like sure. i would have found that vhs at the library and been like all right all right i'll give you a go yeah, yeah. I, I can barely describe it. It's so no, it's odd, great. but but I yeah, I, I had a great time watching it. I also had a great time talking to Nicole Be Beckwith. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, how can we keep up with what's going on? Are you on social media? Uh, barely. I have an Instagram, but I just like live in Massachusetts. Uh, <laughs> not very in the scene. Um, uh, my agents will hate that I said that. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Oh, I'm Nicole Beckwith. I have agents. Look at me. <laughs> I have to say that to make me sound with it now. I just talked about Snow and Harold and Maude. Um, yeah, I guess you can't. That's where you can find me, Instagram. I would. Yeah, that's it. I don't have Twitter. I don't. I don't believe 
I don't believe in Facebook. Sorry, Facebook group. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, just as a, as a quick reminder to folks, Together Together, uh, Nicole's gorgeous film, uh, is a, currently available on Hulu and on Hoopla and my beloved canopy. So yes. if you haven't seen it yet, you have tons of options to go do that. Uh, Drea, as always, uh, a delight, a pleasure. Thank you for another wonderful show. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's episode, tweet at us at Maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group, once again, can be found, if Nicole's never going to be there, at facebook.com slash groups slash Maximum Film, or you can drop us an email at MaximumFilm at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is the delightful Marissa Flax, Part. Our senior producer is the equally delightful Laura Swisher. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.